Welcome back once again to Search the Scriptures. So good to be back in the program with all of our listeners. We're so thankful for you. We're thankful that there's so many people out there who really do want to learn God's Word better, who want to learn about God more thoroughly and more deeply. And of course, that's what God gave us His Word to guide us into. His Word is the basis, the key to our faith, or the development of our faith. Because, as we keep saying in the program, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And so, here on Search the Scriptures, we try to help you develop and even strengthen your faith in God. We want to help you get to heaven. We really do. And that's largely what this program is about. The bottom line, Search the Scriptures is to bring glory to God by teaching His Word accurately and effectively. But then, in conjunction with that, we want to help people come to God. Now that begins with faith in God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him. He who would come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And faith in Jesus is also foundational to coming to God for forgiveness and redemption and salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me or by me. John 14 and verse 6. And Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, that is God's Son and your Lord and Savior, he says, then you will die in your sins. John 8 and verse 24. So faith, our faith is key. It is central to our coming to God for forgiveness and salvation. We must come to God God's way, not just some way, not our way, but God's way. We need to pay attention to what God says in his word more than we need to pay attention to what somebody else in our life tells us about our faith or how we need to live before God. God gave us his word to guide us in his will. It is his will communicated to us in written form. And so there, therefore, we need to understand it, and we need to believe it, and we need to make the proper application to our lives. And that is how our faith develops. Romans 10 and verse 17, again, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Now, in this particular study, we're looking at seven attacks on our faithfulness. And we've looked at three basic ways that the word faith is used in the scriptures in the New Testament. There is faith, that is our personal belief in God and in Christ. And then there is the faith, and that is God's word. And it is upon God's word that our faith is based. It is through God's word that our faith develops and grows. And then there is faithfulness, and that is the open demonstration on a daily, consistent basis of our faith as we consistently live by the teachings of God's Word, which is the faith. So faithfulness, that's how we live before God, living by his teachings, living faithfully before him and devoting our lives to him according to the word that he has given us in scripture. 
the Bible. Now, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the crown of life means eternal life. In John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that means live by my teachings. That's faithfulness. And doing that on a consistent basis, not just hit or miss or here and there or kind of come see, come sigh, but it is on a daily consistent basis. We live our lives in faithfulness to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to our God and Father, God in heaven. The devil is our enemy. We talked about how Peter brought that out in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He likens the devil to a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He identifies the devil as our adversary, literally one who stands against us, and basically boiled down, meaning the devil is our enemy. And so he is our enemy, and he's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's looking for prey, and we are the prey that he's looking for. Now, the devil says, or rather, Peter says that we can resist the devil by turning to our faith. Resist him in the faith. Now, that's God's word again. The faith is God's word. Now, how can we resist him in the faith, in God's word, or through God's word? Because we believe in God through the faith. We have faith through the faith. God's word guided us to our personal faith. And as we live by those teachings consistently on a daily basis, that's faithfulness. So if we will live faithfully before God, then the devil cannot destroy us. He cannot lead us away from God. He cannot lead us to our eternal condemnation and destruction from a spiritual perspective because we're living faithfully before God, and God will watch over us and take care of us. We have that responsibility. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul told us that none of us faces a temptation that is unusual, that is unique to us that has perhaps never been seen before, hardly ever been seen before. But rather, Paul says there that we are not taken with any temptation that is not common to man. Specifically, Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful so if we'll walk with God in faithfulness, then God will demonstrate his faithfulness to us who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, if we will live before God faithfully, not just claiming to have faith in God, but living a life that demonstrates our faith through our faithfulness, our faithful living before him, then God will take care of us. He'll not let the devil confront us with any temptation that is 
so overwhelming that we cannot possibly say no to it. God will always make the way of escape because God is faithful. <laughs> what a great, great uh, concept that is, the faithfulness of God to us. And obviously that ought to motivate us all the more to live faithfully before him and to him. Now, seven attacks on our faithfulness. And the devil, again, is masterful. He's skillful in what he does. He knows where our weaknesses are, and he'll hit us in those areas of our lives, those areas to which we are most susceptible to sin, to unfaithfulness in God. Now, again, I've tried to emphasize this in this study. The devil does not have to turn us into atheists to destroy us or lead us to destruction. All he has to do is lead us into being unfaithful before God, to lead us into unfaithfulness, and he's won. He has then fit that role, fulfilled that role of that hungry lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. But we don't have to give in to that. We don't have to give in to those temptations. We don't have to give in to life's challenges and trials and difficulties. We can say no to the devil, and God will be there to help us say no. Last time we looked at the first and probably the most prominent in people's minds of all of the attacks that the devil will use on our faithfulness to try to get us to become unfaithful and that is temptation. We talked about how the devil is so skillful, so masterful at portraying temptation into sin as looking like a good thing, an attractive thing, something that's desirable, even something that would be righteous. And yet it's exactly the opposite of all of those things. It's interesting how the Hebrews writer talked about Moses in Old Testament times. And Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household. So he had basically, you would look at it from a material perspective, basically anything he wanted was available to him, I think we could conclude. And the Hebrews writer talks about, in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing or fleeting pleasures of sin. Now, what Moses came to understand, because he was actually born an Israelite, he, or a Hebrew, he, he came to understand that I can't live in worldliness. I've got to live in righteousness before God. Now, can sin bring me some temporary pleasure, it would seem, for a moment? Uh, sure, but it's fleeting. You know, let me compare it to a, an alcoholic who gets another bottle, and he drinks it to the point of becoming intoxicated, and in that period of intoxication he feels and the period of building up into that intoxication he gets that euphoria and everything and he feels you know the high and all of that and it seems that seems good to him 
but it doesn't last. And it's not productive of a good lifestyle, a productive lifestyle. And so as the, the high wears off, then he suffers the consequences of the alcohol itself, the drug that he's taken into his system. And that's not a pleasant thing. And in fact, as he becomes more and more of an alcoholic and sinks deeper and deeper into alcoholism, he suffers more and more repercussions of that lifestyle. People around him don't want to be around him anymore. Friends he had, he loses them. Even family relationships and even marriages break down because of that lifestyle that for the moment seems pleasant and desirable. Oh, but that's fleeting and that's deceiving. And that's the deceitfulness of sin that we also read about in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. So that's how the devil makes things look, but it's all the opposite of what it really is when we're talking about sin. Now the second line of attack that the devil uses on us is worldliness, worldliness. The allure of worldly living, and that is just plain sinful living, worldly living, that allure confronts us at every turn, every day. Oh, and again, the devil is so good at making a worldly, destructive, spiritually destructive lifestyle look so good, and yet it's the opposite of that. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul, he talked about some of his co-workers, fellow Christians. He says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Now, particularly Demas, he talks about, has loved this present world. Now, I'm not exactly sure just the specific charge that Paul was making there. Maybe he was simply saying Demas was afraid of being executed. Paul, it would seem, in that particular text, was facing execution at the hands of the Roman government. So maybe Demas fled to save his life. Or maybe it was something deeper than that. Maybe Demas was just so attached to the world that he couldn't let go and just look forward to eternity with God, as Paul was doing. But that, that description of Demas, having left, having loved this present world, so many people love this world more than they love God. And a lot of them might say, oh, no, no, that's not true. Well, yeah, it is, because they live worldly lifestyles, and they won't turn to God to live the righteous life before him, the life of faithfulness to him. James wrote in James chapter 4 and verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now the word enmity means strife. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We cannot live a worldly lifestyle and a godly lifestyle at the same time because you see they're diametrically opposed to each other. 
we have to come to understand that we have to make a choice. Either we're going to walk with God in faithfulness, or we're going to just live in the ways of this world, and that is in disharmony with faithfulness and godliness. John the Apostle wrote in, in 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, very similar to what James wrote. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now remember, Paul said Demas, Demas loved this present world. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Very direct straight statement, isn't it? Very direct statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And here's the reasoning John uses. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, three avenues of sin, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now we see that all around us, don't we? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's evident all around us again. Every day, all the time. And that's not of the Father. It's not of God, but it's of the world. That's worldliness. And the world is passing away, John goes on to say, and the lust of it. So this world is temporary. It's coming to an end one day when the Lord comes again. But he who does the will of God, John says, abides or lives forever. Eternal life. Eternal life with God in Christ and the Holy Spirit in heaven. Eternal life. But the ways of this world, ah, world's passing away. And those who are living worldly lives and don't turn to our Lord, they'll be passing away as well, eternally, but into the eternal condemnations of hell. Going back to Hebrews chapter 11, and let's read a little bit, a little bit further in this text that we noted a few moments ago. By faith, Moses when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing or fleeting pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now that's what we've been talking about. That's what John was writing about in 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, when he says, he who loves the world or love of the world is not of God, is not the same as loving God. And what do you say there specifically? If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And why does John say that that you need to be aware of this? You need to be careful? He says, the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, that's exactly the lesson that Moses learned. Again, going back to Hebrews 11 and verse 26, 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, all that worldliness that was available to him, for he looked to the reward, and that's the eternal reward. Moses chose to follow God rather than to embrace the fleeting pleasures of sinful worldly living for a time. All that's going to go away. We read about the ultimate destruction of this world over and over again. Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10. The Lord's going to come, and then the verses following, and this world's going to be destroyed. So if our life is centered primarily in the ways of this world, then what we've been reading in John's writing there, that's going to be our destruction. James again, remember what James said in James chapter 4 and verse 4, that friendship with the world is enmity with God, and whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. But the devil makes it look good, doesn't he? That worldly living, all of the things that go with a worldly lifestyle, Oh, he makes it look attractive. We need to be on guard. So James goes on in verses 7 and 8 and says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. What does that mean? So many people think they can live worldly lifestyles while somehow being dedicated to God at the same time. Just does not work. And that is a product of the deceitfulness of sin that the devil is so skillful at hoodwinking us <laughs> into somehow believing that we can live a sinful lifestyle and still be faithful to God. Absolute impossibility. Seven attacks on our faithfulness. We've looked at two, temptation and worldliness. And we'll continue next time. Now in a moment we'll tell you how to contact us, write down that information, and then contact us. The materials that we offer to you, they're free. We'll take care of the postage, and they can help you get to heaven. We hope to hear from you right away.